it's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah. Hashtag NBA. Totter wants to go inside. Totter all the way in reverse. Layup. Got it. 30 points for Tyler Hero. Timeout Boston, and I'm sure Coach is saying, yes, see that guy wearing number 14? Someone get a handle on him. Iguodala back to Totter. Seven on the shot clock. Has Smart in front of him. Puts it over Smart for three. Got it to go. His fifth from downtown. 33 points by the rookie. He finished with 37. PK. Tyler Hero is good. I'm convinced someone defend him. Why is he so open? He got great looks down the stretch. He made them, and the Heat beat the Celtics. Hold them off 112-109, and they are up three games to one. That is absolutely true. I agree. So why the heck is Hero so open? Shooting corner threes with nobody in, in 10 feet of him. Yeah, I don't know either. You're the, you're the basketball guy. You tell me. But he was wide open. And he made Apparently him pay. He's wide open, huh? Wide bleeping open. Celtics in a hole. We'll see if they can channel their inner Denver Nuggets now. Down three games to one. The Nuggets have pulled that off twice. Will they have to pull it off a third time? They're down two to one to the Lakers. Game four is tonight, six o'clock. Every game for the Nuggets in this has been a little better. Game two was certainly better than game one, even though they lost. Found a way to win game three. Now can they even the series up and avoid a 3-1 hole? I'm going to say the winner of this game wins the series. That's a good call. I like that. Miami, if uh, Miami, if the Lakers get up 3-1, they ought to be able to finish this off. I mean, how many times can the Nuggets come back from 3-1? And if the Nuggets win this at 2-2 with the momentum on their side... And the Lakers having some obvious flaws, even though they've got a spectacular postseason record. They got issues. How can they possibly be 10 and 3? It's time for those issues to be revealed. If the Nuggets pull it off. New Sacramento Kings GM Monty McNair said he's looking forward to working with head coach Luke Walton. I've got to know him the last few days. We've had good conversations. I've heard great things. So far, I think we've had great rapport. Luke's going to be our coach next year. I'm really excited to work with him. I think we're aligned with our vision. We're going to start implementing it. Give me a year or two years, PK. Clock's ticking. A, it's Sacramento, and B, the GM didn't hire the coach. How often does that work? Clock ticking. Yeah, who knows if the GM's going to be there. The reality is by 2025, they'll probably have new guys at both positions. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. He is in the building. He's 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 feeling fine. He's he's helping out with these young quarterbacks, and uh, he's helping getting those guys ready to play, just like a veteran should. These guys, since I've been here, now our medical staff has been very really trustworthy. You know, they, they there's a trust job, but I, how they respond to this, I don't know. That's going to be up to the locker room how they respond to this. If you know, but as of right now, I I like the progress we've made with our players and our medical staff. It's Charger coach Anthony Lentz. Says that Tyrod Taylor is still the team starter when he's cleared to play again after his lung was accidentally punctured by a team doctor Sunday while administering a painkilling injection to Taylor's cracked ribs. Doctors have advised Taylor not to play indefinitely 
And Lynn added that if Tyrod is 100%, he's our quarterback. But it sounds like he's not going to be 100% for a while. So, former Oregon Duck. Herbert will get the the start for the Chargers this week. That is a weird story and a bizarre scenario. Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely unfortunate for the young man. Raiders coach John Gruden pumping up Cam Newton before the Raiders and Patriots uh, meet here in week three. I haven't seen many guys walk through my doors that look like Cam. I call him Slam, Slam Newton. That was the nickname I gave him. He's a power forward playing quarterback. Cam looks like he's the usual Cam. He's a threat to do a lot of different things. And that's the question. Is he healthy? Can he stay healthy? If he can stay healthy with Belichick, that'd have a pretty good season. And they're off to a nice start here, having split their first two games. Did lose a game in Seattle, but passing the eyeball test through two games. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can buy that. Raiders trying to get to 3-0 and right now. Six teams in the AFC off to the uh, 2-0 and start. Can they keep it rolling after taking down the Saints? That is the question for the Raiders this week. The week starts Thursday night football. Dolphins and Jaguars. That's uh, NFL Network tonight at 6-20. Dolphins off to an 0-2 start. Jags are 1-1 going into this one. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. My son Tristan was one of the fellas on the team that tested positive for COVID after cleaning, uh, completing his 10 to 14 day uh, quarantine. Pretty much did it fairly healthy. A few of the, the side effects, but not enough to be super worrisome. Started practice again yesterday. Of course, when you miss that much time, you, you, you ball out. You, you're ready to go. You're excited to get after it. I was feeling some pretty terrible symptoms last night. Talked to his mom and I, and the doctor and the training staff. Decided it was, it was time to test him for some other other problems. Ends up that he uh, he has pneumonia. It's uh, affected his lungs severely. Uh, lucky enough, uh, there was no fluid in his heart. That's Marty Hodge talking about BYU's Tristan Hodge, who had COVID and now has pneumonia. So put him on the back burner, I guess, a little bit here with the home opener coming up Saturday night against Troy. And have to get him... Uh, Get him over the pneumonia and get him back in shape. Fluid in the lungs is not ideal, obviously, for playing football at elevation and banging into people. BYU will play the Houston Cougars later this season, hopefully. So far, the Cougars haven't been able to play anyone. They've had their fourth week in a row. They've had a game called off. They actually had two games called off one week. This week, it's North Texas, who's got uh, some positive tests. So they're not going to be playing, so the Houston-North Texas game is off, and Notre Dame and Wake Forest have rescheduled for the weekend of December 12th. So schedule taking a few alterations going into this weekend. But is it going to take an alteration today for Halloween or November 7th? Place your bets. What will the Pac-12 presidents and chancellors do? I think they could do both, actually. I don't think it's an either-or. I would think that the teams that are ready to go could be could play on October 31. I'd be surprised if they had some teams ending up playing more games than others, but I wouldn't be shocked if they had some teams play on the 31st and then gave them a bye later in the season. But obviously, they're the presidents and chancellors. They can do whatever they want. Yeah, well, the seven games with built-in opportunities if they need buys and then actual buys, so it's a combination that they could do. 
So I think there's a little bit of a push to start it on that Halloween night, day, whatever it might be. And for some, somehow it'll be better a week later. Waiting to hear what the Mountain West will do as well. The MAC has a vote set for tomorrow. They might play a six-game schedule. I think there's some concerns there about the testing and can all the schools afford it, but they'll be sorting that out tomorrow. So there you go. For the three leagues that still haven't set a schedule yet, there are their plans. 48 hours, we could know it all, maybe less than that. All right, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. That's ready to pitch. Here's a swing and a drive to left field. Fair or foul toward the line. And it is a home run. Randy Arozarena hit one right over the foul pole down the left field line. His second homer of the day, his seventh of the season. And the Rays' lead is now 8-2. to two. And they win 8-5. to five. The Rays beat the Mets, and the Rays win the AL East title. So they go into the playoffs with uh, with high hopes, and they got a little playoff experience too, PK, for a team that doesn't have the biggest payroll, actually has one of the smallest payrolls. That is a nice accomplishment right there, winning the AL East. And they've had a taste of the postseason, so let's see how deep they can go. Yeah, it was funny. I saw some of the guys, uh, at least one of them, they were sitting in the dugout celebrating, guys sitting there with his uniform pants, no shirt, amongst his teammates, smoking a cigar. <laughs> That's good. <clears throat> That's quite the look right there. That yeah, was funny. So Tampa into the uh, into the playoffs. Uh, they won the wild card game and then got beat by the Astros a year ago. So we'll That's see Tampa Bay, buddy. The Rays. Not te- not Tampa. You wouldn't call them green, would you? I might. No, you'd call them, well, you'd be the only one. <laughs> okay, I wouldn't call Green Bay. Too much respect for Green Bay. Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. The Angels beat the Padres 5-2, to but the Padres have already clinched a berth, so the bigger story is the Clevenger uh, left in the first inning. Bicep tightness. Okay, so how much do you worry about bicep tightness? First, first inning, precautionary, rest him into the playoffs. It's only an inning. He'll be fine. Or major red flag for the Padres. Gut instinct on his arm. I don't know, man. I have no gut instinct on his arm. I can't say that. I mean, I just can't speak to what the man is feeling in his arm and his shoulder and bicep area, whatever that might be. You know, all of that makes you a little nervous. Yes. Uh, But as you say, they've already clinched. They're going. their, Their spot literally is already taken care of. So if you felt anything, was it just absolutely precautionary? I can't speak to that, so I don't really know. I, I, I just don't know what, what you know, you don't, specifically you don't want the shoulder and the elbow uh, from, you know, what we've heard over time. So I, I just can't speak to it, but, you know, I'm the, if I'm the Potters, I absolutely make sure I get that uh, taken care of if at all possible because he has the potential to be your number one guy. The Indians have also clinched a playoff berth, one of the uh, six teams that are in in the American League. Terry Francona will not return to the dugout during the regular season, but he is slated to join the team's postseason bubble. 61-year-olds missed uh, 42 games. He's had gastrointestinal surgery and blood clotting issues. Sounds pretty serious there, but I guess it's a good sign that Francona could be in the bubble. The Indians, uh, eight games over five hundred. Two and a half games out of the division lead. Probably not going to win the division, but we'll be in the postseason. 
And in the National League, the craziness that is the race for the uh, wild card spots in the National League, four of the eight are clinched. And now there's six teams all right around 500 trying to get in. Right now, the Cardinals and the Reds and the Giants are all a game over, with the Giants beating the Rockies 7-2 to two last night. So it's, it's probably it's fun to have you actually caring about Sunday. baseball again. Yeah, it's fun to have the Padres actually be good again, I'm telling you. It's way more fun. <laughs> That's the definition of a Fairweather fan right there. Major League Baseball is making the Independent Atlanta League its first partner league. A distinction awarded as the expiration nears for Major League Baseball's agreement with the affiliated National Association of Professional Baseball Leagues. Major League Baseball trying to cut the guaranteed minor league teams from 160 down to 120. Which 40 teams will get squeezed? Obviously, the Pioneer League is sitting in a bad spot there, and we got teams here and Orem and Ogden, are they going to be able to create something? It'll be interesting and keep a bunch of city-funded stadiums still busy. A partner league. Does it sound like there's anything in that, PK? Yeah, I'm going to have to investigate that more to see what that's all about. DJ and PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL, after a couple of home losses, gets a win. They shut out the Galaxy. Goals from Albert Rusnak and Demir Krylock. Started to take control of the game late in the first half. Came flying out of the locker room with three good chances in three minutes and pretty much set the tone for the second half there. Did catch some breaks along the way, PK. It's funny how with everything hanging in the balance, you know, and in, in the previous game, they'd only given up three shots on goal, but two of them went in. And here the Galaxy hit the crossbar twice but didn't score. Had a couple chances to get the game's first goal, and when they didn't, RSL took over. So they get the win, and in the hyper-competitive, hyper-congested West, they move from 11th points, 11 points, or 11th place, and they pick up the three points. They're now above the playoff line and only four points out of first place. That makes no sense. Yeah, that, my head's spinning right now, I gotta that is say. way too close <laughs> to go from 11th to that close to first with one win. That's a lot of points and places. They'll be uh, they'll be playing Minnesota on Sunday. What is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. Receive a free reverse osmosis system with the purchase of any water softener at Shamrock Plumbing. 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Coming up, we're going to talk basketball with Jeff Perlman, author of Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the crazy years of the Laker dynasty. You talk BYU football, Brian Keel, former Cougar linebacker, will stop by at 8.30. And Greg Bowlerjack at 9 o'clock, TV voice of the Jazz, talking NBA playoffs. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 12.80 The Zone. Let's go! The Big Show. It's a big deal! With Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Football Fridays, Coach Macalema Harrington. We're here at the warehouse. Tom Alema said he was a little bit jealous. Well, just a now, little. Having a Lemma deal. <laughs> a Lemma special. Okay. I've got about 10 love seats. Aha! Uh, hey, what do you think, Coach? That's just what you need is yes. a love seat. Now, Lemma a love seat. A love seat. There's sure, nothing wrong with cuddling on a love seat. Okay, well, I, I cuddle I'm, with my wife and watch a movie. Yeah, I agree with yeah. that. My wife is practicing social distance. <laughs> <laughs> She's been doing that for 25 years, right? I was waiting for Gordon to pop in on that one. <laughs> the Big Show. Weekdays from 2 to 7 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK brought to you in part by Action Plumbing. Action Plumbing, heating and electrical, encouraging you to spring into action now. Mention this ad, and you get $33 off on any service. Call Action today at 801-833-3333. That's 801-833-3333. DJ and PK coming up. We're going to have uh, Craig Bullerjack on, and he's going to be talking NBA playoffs, which brings up the question, PK. How fired up are people about the NBA right now? Oh, boy. Down to the final four, and it's the Lakers. Shelly says, I've tuned into a few of the games because I'm pretty much stuck at home all the time. At this point, I'm interested in seeing the Lakers and the Celtics not make the finals. I sure wish the Jazz were playing. Yeah, I think you have a lot of folks that view it as a presidential election. I'm not really voting for this person. I'm a voting against that person. And now I'm speaking any specific presidential election. And I know there's some people who are going to get up in arms that I say that, but I think there's a fair amount of people who believe that, well, I don't want to vote for this guy or this person, so I'm going to vote for this other person. So it's same thing here. I don't really care who wins, but I want these two to lose. <laughs> don't need to see Gordon Hayward in the NBA Finals, and don't need to see the Lakers back in the NBA Finals. Yes, yeah, I think that's what it is, for sure. There's a lot of that. Uh, Darren says, my interest in the NBA? Zero. And Troy says, zero. Are they even playing? Matt says, zero. Matt says, none. I can't stand the political movement and LeBron's hate for the law. Ooh, hate for the law. Now, yesterday was a big-time political movement day in the NBA. It might have been the most controversial day we've had ever. Obviously, a lot of it stems from the incident in Kentucky and the justice that was handed out or the non-justice handed out with this young lady who tragically lost her life, Ms. Taylor. I mean, you got Jalen Rose on television going to commercial. Today would be a great day, screaming to arrest the officers or the cops, whatever he said, to kill. That killed Breonna Taylor. And then they went to commercial. And the NBA and ESPN, well, more the ESPN than the NBA, man, they devoted a lot of time to it. Just about everybody up there was talking about it. And, And they all were pretty much in agreement. I mean, there wasn't really... Hey, wait a second. Uh, what about this? What about that? That really wasn't part of the form. It was, it was one-sided. Now, it may have been one-sided justifiably, but nevertheless, it was one-sided. And I think that's the that's the issue that I have is that I've got no problem with anybody voicing what they what they think. I don't know that anybody did it in an irresponsible manner that led to harm physically or literally, you know, literally damage. And we saw some damage being done in Louisville, but there's never any follow-up. There's never. Well, I have a question. What about this? I mean, one of these WNBA players. We need to abolish the police. Okay, let's talk about it. But it's just a statement, and then they go on to the next thing. So there's never, you know, I'm going to say cross-examination, not that it's a courtroom, but there's never anything that where you have an opportunity to, to, to question. More, you want more depth. You want to peel back, find the multiple layers of the discussion, which for something like that, you would think there would be multiple layers. Yeah, well, let, let's have a discussion. You know, Donovan Mitchell wants to pay for the education of the children of Jacob Blake. Great. But let's have a discussion about Jacob Blake. What about 
some of the stuff that was going on. Doesn't I'm not saying anything justifies anything. I'm saying, well, what's the discussion? It's just that they put out these statements, and then these statements stand there. LeBron can say, you know, every single day we fear for our lives, as if he's a spokesperson for all African Americans every single day. Well, let's have some dialogue on that and have some discussion. But there never is. It's just a, they get to say a statement, and then that's it. And then moves on to the next statement whenever he wants to make an, another statement. Well, to the degree that uh, media is more opinion than it is journalism and reporting, you know, that's how this discussion, uh, this discussion, that's how all political and social discussions have kind of gone. That's kind of what people lament when they say there's three networks that aren't reporting the news, that are opining on the news, and everybody takes their own favorite topic and then their own favorite angle, and then they just stick to that for an hour. Sure. And yeah, so there's no sides on this at right, all. Right, I know. So it's kind of, it's just how, uh, and I don't want to say the, uh, it's not how journalism is gone, it's how the media is gone. Because when I hear journalism, yes, there's always been some opinion in journalism. There's just, you know, go back decades, there's, you know, an opinion, op-ed page in a newspaper and all that. But the amount of reporting is dwindling. And oh, the yeah, amount of opinion, the amount of opinion is uh, escalating. But it's all everybody on their own separate page or in their own lane. And so the, the back and forth that you're looking for or hoping for just doesn't really happen. And it doesn't just, it's not just that on ESPN. That's kind of how it's getting done oh, across no, the board. Now, for a lot of people who are saying they're turned off by the politics and all that, then we get, uh, we get this from Wayne. It's funny reading this thread. A lot of the self-righteous folks claim outrage, but if the Jazz were still alive in the conference final, they'd be all in. Good old Wayne. There he is. If you only knew. <laughs> you think that's true? Winning. It changes uh, I everything. I think a lot of folks would be in. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it may not be to the level of the original first loves, the statues. Uh, but I, I think it would be maybe not, certainly not as much because they're in Florida as opposed to being on the plaza and being around the yeah. epicenter of the news, which was the arena at that time. So trying to compare it to that. Uh, but, yeah, I think that we, I think it would be something that would be outstanding and i think a lot of folks would be in there you know it just how much how much are they pushing it during the games you know that's be fun to just have the games be the games and then afterward or before do your thing dj and pk it's 97.5 and 1280 the zone we are joined now by jeff perlman author of three ring circus kobe shack phil and the crazy years of the laker dynasty jeff good morning Good morning. How you doing? Good. So you get a few years removed, and people sometimes are willing to go into details that they can't go into when it's all happening because uh, you know it's it's not okay to violate the sanctity of the locker room, and you still got to work with these people, play for this coach, or have this guy as a teammate. So when you get a few years removed. You tend to get a few juicy stories, some details. I mean, I think we know the bigger plot, but you get some details to fill stuff in. What are a couple of the details that you picked up as you uh, gathered information for this book that 
weren't out there earlier and are actually quite interesting. All right, so this is, I have not told this story before while promoting this book, but since we're, we're on in Salt Lake City, one of my favorite moments in this book is um, after the Jazz eliminate the Lakers um, in the playoffs, and Greg Ostertag talked a load of trash about Shaquille O'Neal, like a load of trash. And, you know, Shaq can say what he wants, but he's home now on vacation. I'm still playing. So Shaq basically reads all this, and it builds up in him and builds up in him, and he is furious. And the next year, uh, the season, Shaq was out with an injury, and it's uh, before the first game of the year. And he's standing courtside, and he sees Greg Ostertag, Utah Jazz Center. And he's like, yo, Greg. I don't really like the stuff you were saying about me, man. I, that my kids have to read that. I, I do not like that. Ostertag says, you, you know what, Shaq? Go after yourself. And Shaq reaches back his bare hand and just smacks Ostertag across the face. Ostertag falls to the floor like a napkin, like just crumbles to the floor. And he's looking around for his contact lens, going, where's my contact lens? Where's my contact lens? And all the Lakers and a bunch of Jazz are gathered around and nobody's helping him, and no one's coming to his defense. And one Laker told me it was the most pathetic thing he's ever seen. It was Greg Ostertag getting just smacked in front of everyone by Shaq and crumbling and trying to find his contact lens on the ground before getting up and walking off in the walk of shame. And I haven't told that. I mean, I just kind of love that because it's, it's very uh, geographically relatable to where you are right now. I don't know how well-known the Ostertag-Shaq uh, relationship was back then, but it was, yeah. it was not great. Yeah, I think you just pulled the scab off an old wound there because Greg was really not the same after that. Yeah, that that's story. That's a funny thing. Yeah. He really wasn't. No, he that's wasn't. That's amazing. And, you know, um, not that this is the Greg Ostertag book, but, you know, teammates told me, like, he really, like, he thought he was tough and he thought he was big. He wasn't the hardest worker. He wasn't the most skilled. But the one thing he had going for him was size and kind of this brute force. And after getting smacked by Cope, uh, by Shaq in front of everyone, it sort of took away. It was like Mike Tyson getting knocked out by Buster Douglas, where suddenly you're like, oh, it's just this guy. It's actually not that big a deal after all. A huge moment in that rivalry. A huge moment in that rivalry. A lot of stuff in this book. Uh, we got it uh, yesterday uh, online, and I've been trying to read as much as I can in the last 24 hours, literally right up until we went on the air this morning. Uh, I can go 100 different directions, so hopefully that I go in ones that are our listeners would enjoy or find interesting. One of the things that struck me is that in your attempts to speak to people, at least uh, the stuff that I read, is that there was, like Phil Jackson says, uh, I'm only here to talk to you because Jeannie Buss says I have to. And then you're up in Montana, I believe it was, and he gives you eight hours. J.R. Ryder, you try to track him down, you don't have success, you show up at his door in Chandler, Arizona, he seems to be very aggressive towards you, basically get off my lawn, and you explain what you're there for, and then he gives you almost three hours of time when you just basically showed up cold, and he's saying, I got stories, man. Why do you think that people were so willing to give you so much time to talk on the subjects that you were looking to and inter- uh, interview them on? I think a lot of it is, it's sort of the, the equivalent of, uh, you graduated from wherever, you know, whatever college, USC in 1996, and your best days were in your fraternity. Man, I had a great time at whatever, and it was awesome, and blah, blah, blah. 
1996, it's like, look, you're a brother. You can't tell anyone about this. You can't tell anyone about this. You know, what we did to the plebs or whatever. You can't tell anyone. And it's 2000. It's like, you haven't told anyone, have you? No, nah, I haven't told anyone. You tell anyone, nah. Then 2005, and you're like, ah, I guess, you know, it's really funny. I, I don't know. And then by, you know, you're basically like, these are the best days of my life. These are the funniest stories of my life. I'm not just going to keep them to myself. And it's the same with being on a basketball team and being on a team like that. Like, enough time has passed where I think a lot of the players, like, these are the best days of my life. This was the most fun I had. This was the craziest experience I had is with these same 15 guys all season. And here's the roller coaster. I just think it's sort of like the human uh, desire to tell stories and the protection that time has. And also just being completely honest, I reported and wrote the book um, before Kobe's death. So there certainly was a comfort probably that wouldn't have been quite the same if it had been immediately after uh, January 26th. Jeff Perlman joining us. The book is Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. So how many fights were there? How many guys did these guys punch? Because you open with a story about Kobe on the bus not getting his 100 bucks for making a half-court shot from one guy, so he punches the guy and then is immediately just filled with all kinds of you know grief and apologizing and crying on the phone and saying he's sorry. How often did these guys blow up and haul off and hit somebody? I mean, it wasn't a regular. It wasn't like every five days they were getting in fights. There's, that one was a big one because uh, Smocky Walker was ready to just destroy Kobe Bryant and actually had Phil. He was on a bus in Cleveland and said to Phil Jackson, Phil, stop the bus. Stop the bus. And challenged Kobe Bryant right there to get off the bus. Then there was during the lockout year, Shaq and Kobe in a pickup game and Kobe getting mad and frustrated with Shaq calling too many fouls and Shaq basically smacking him across the face and threatening to have him traded to Vancouver when the Grizzlies were in Vancouver. There was Shaq dragging Brian Shaw across the locker room floor after getting mad at him. One time they taped, they duct taped Devin George and looked naked to practice court and walked off and left him there having to get un. He ended up having a janitor come and take the tape off of him and get him, you know, find a way to get a naked Devin George home. So there were definitely fights, but, um, Mainly, and oh, there was also obviously Rick Fox, Doug Christie, one of the great fights of all time on the court when Doug Christie's wife comes running down with the swinging or pocketbook at Rick Fox. So there were definitely a lot of fights. A lot of it was, was sort of passive aggressive in that locker room. There was Shaq taking shots at Kobe, Kobe taking shots at Shaq, then apologizing, then more shots. It was sort of this ongoing soap opera where you never kind of knew what would happen. One of the things I took from it, you know, th- this was a, a team that most people believe left some titles on the table and if they could have found a way between the two stars to to find some harmony maybe they could have won more but one of the things that i took from this correct me if i'm wrong is that folks particularly somebody like phil jackson didn't necessarily have a lot of regret that it didn't go beyond where it went and it ended when it was it ended when it ended and there wasn't a lot of sadness that it ended a the way it ended and how quickly, relatively speaking, it did end. Um, I would agree with that. I um, I think we in sports tend to say, ah, oh, how many they could have won. Like I wrote a book, my first book ever was about the 86 Mets. And people would say, man, that team should have been a dynasty. And I always say, yeah, it could have been a dynasty if Dwight Gooden wasn't addicted to cocaine. So that's a big if. Like if you want to play that game, if, 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 you can. Shaq and Kobe, by the time they lost to Detroit, they were done with each other. It was Shaq was desperate for a contract extension that Jerry Buss wasn't giving him. Joe Jackson had no idea what was going on with his deal, whether he was coming back. 
Kobe had one foot out the door going to the Clippers. Kobe was also flying back and forth from Eagle, Colorado. Felt like he wasn't getting the support from teammates or the organization. Um, in the finals against Detroit, obviously, they got beaten down pretty pretty good. Afterwards, uh, Kobe says to a teammate, I'm never playing with that MFR again. Um, they just squeezed everything they could out of that, everything they could. And at the end, when they lost to Detroit, they were just kind of a mess. Peyton and Malone were there. It wasn't a smooth season at all. The triangle offense was falling apart. It just had run its course. So I, I can't see any real. Yeah, if they if all people did was play basketball and not have human emotions, sure they could have won another two titles or three titles. But if you throw in emotions and personalities, it was as done as you could be. It was just over, completely over. So one thing that was reported a long time ago, but maybe talking to people, you're going to have a better feel for this, was that the last year, Phil was in the back of the bus on a laptop writing a book about the team he was coaching, when typically the coach would say, oh, this stays in the group. And meanwhile, this guy is writing in the back of the bus getting ready to cash in on that. Did that have a big impact on the team, or were things falling apart so completely that that just didn't matter? There were bigger issues. Well, it didn't, it didn't have an impact during the season. Um, but after when that book came out, um, the last season, first of all, it's a great book. A really great book and great insight into that season. Um, a lot of the players were really pissed off because it felt like a violation. Again, how many times do coaches and organizations preach family, 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 we're a family, what happens here stays here. And then as soon as the season is over, this tell-all book comes out that basically takes the legs out from under Kobe Bryant. Um, so I, I would not say it had an impact during the season. I would say after the season, um, there were a lot of people who were a little, felt that he had gone behind their backs and, and it was not the right thing to do. There's always a lot of twists and turns and maybe some fate and whatever you want to call it as far as how things end up being the way they are. You know, you look what I'm talking about, how Kobe got to the Lakers. Like Donovan Mitchell, just to use a small example, you know, it was a game a draft day trade with the Nuggets, and they had worked him out, the Jazz and the GM, Dennis Lindsay, told people, if anybody mentions this who were in the gym, you'll be fired immediately because of what they thought of Mitchell, and obviously he's turned out to be a real good player and just barely getting started in his NBA stardom. And we know Jerry West said that you know it was the best workout he'd ever had, and, and the Nets were there, and Calipari was saying, well, Jerry West says it, it's good enough for me, and they went back and forth. But a crazy little thing, and I'm stretching the truth a little bit, so just play with me, but basically uh, – Kobe and his family, his parents, got turned off because they gave Kobe a middle seat on a plane flying to New Jersey or something like that? Yeah, but that's not... That is true, 100%. The Nets booked his flight. So the Nets worked Kobe out, I think, five times overall. I was either four or five times. And at one time, he was flying to L.A. after, and whoever booked the travel for the Nets got him in a middle seat commercial, and he was not happy, and his people were not happy. But... The real reason he wound up not going to the Nets, I mean, there was this whole, the Nets had the number eight pick. They were dead set on taking Kobe Bryant. Kobe had signed the Adidas deal. His people wanted him in L.A. Jerry West desperately wanted him. Kobe's agent, Arn Tellum, was a really good friend to Jerry West, made it clear to Jerry West he wants to be in L.A. Um, Kobe's camp starts calling John Calipari and saying he will not sign with the Nets. And Calipari's freaking out. He's a young coach, first year. What am I going to do? John Nash is a GM. He's like, Cal, he's going to sign with us. This is all a bluff. I don't know, and I think he's going to sign. Then uh, Kerry Kittles' agent, David Falk, Kerry Kittles from Villanova, desperately wants to play with the Nets. 
calls John Calipari and says, listen, if you don't draft Kerry Kittles, if he's there, I'm never going to have a guy play for you again. Oh, my God, what the heck? This is John Nash is like, listen, they're bluffing. This is what it is in the NBA. They're bluffing. But John Calipari in his contract is final say on personnel. And right before the draft, he holds a meeting and he says, well, here's what we're going to do. If Kerry Kittles is there at number eight, we're taking Kerry Kittles. If he's not there, we're going with Kobe. Kittles is there. They draft Kerry Kittles. Jerry West knows Charlotte with number 13 is going to get Kobe. They make the trade for Vlade. I actually interviewed Kerry Kittles for the book, and he was like, he played against Kobe in summer leagues. He was like, I'm going to be honest, if I had the chance to draft Kobe, I'd probably take him over me too. So the Nets, you know, and Jason Williams, who played for the Nets and hated Calipari, told me, he's like, Calipari used to always act like a tough guy, and he ended up getting intimidated by a 17-year-old kid. That was pathetic. Jeff Perlman, author of The Three Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. You know, there are multiple quotes uh, from people who played with uh, Kobe in the early years. He just didn't seem comfortable with himself. You know, he didn't seem comfortable in his own skin. How much of that do you think that Kobe really foreshadowed um, what a lot of... um, the, the the difficulty a lot of foreign players would have making the transition and fitting in in the NBA. Kobe did grow up and went to high school in the U.S., but he lived for a long time in Italy as a young kid. How much did that make him not fit? And then how much of all of this was just, well, he went to the NBA as a teenager. Of course, he had to grow up and mature, and he had to do it in the spotlight on a massive stage, which, of course, complicated it. It would complicate it for everyone. That's the story of all these child stars, in, or not all, but a lot of the child stars in Hollywood. How do you sort all that out? What what was the kind of the issue with Kobe earlier in life as he figured himself out and got comfortable in his own skin. I mean, he definitely had a little bit of that sort of Gary Coleman thing where you're this precocious star, but you don't know how to open a checking account, you know, and your life is just sort of did one awkward moment after another. A lot of it. Yeah. He, he was basically a foreign player. He was born, you know, raised in Italy, only black kid around anywhere, moves to suburban Philadelphia to lower Marion, only black kid around, um, is held as this sort of, phenom from a very young age, signs an Adidas shoe deal while I was a senior in high school, takes Brandy to the prom, a woman, he, a star singer he'd never met before, um, goes straight to the NBA. I mean, his first, his introduction to the other Laker players was his first day of training camp in Hawaii when they go around and introduce themselves. He says, my name is Kobe Bryant. Nobody here is going to punk me. You know, like, talk about the tone deafness of an 18-year-old. Like, at the same time, Jermaine O'Neal, also straight from high school, is in Portland, uh, offering to get veterans orange juice and deliver their newspapers to him. You know, like, keep your head down and just be humble. Kobe didn't know that. He never knew that. He, it was never, it was just about going hard. And a lot of the players back then, and you can see it, really found it laughable the way he sort of imitated Michael Jordan from licking his lips to the way he spoke, the way he sort of dressed himself with the wristbands and the way he carried himself. And a lot of his early life was imitating people and trying to figure out who he was and how to come across the right way and thinking five steps before doing. I just think there's a lot. It's being young in the NBA. It's trying to present a front that isn't real. It's not being brought up in the normal background. It's all those things. But having a dad as a star, um, a lot of things merging together to conspire against you in a way. 
Well, Jeff, we appreciate the time. Uh, we've enjoyed reading the book, the portions we've gotten through it. It's uh, The Three Ring Circus, Kobe Shackville and the Crazy Years of the Laker Dynasty. Jeff, thanks for a few minutes, and good luck with the book. All right, thank you. Take care. And PK, uh, that whole leaving the titles on the uh, table discussion is just, you know, it's it could it have been it's just tantalizing because it could have been the best dynasty of our lifetimes. Not being old enough to remember the Celtics, I don't know that they could have gotten to eleven and thirteen years. That seems like a reach. But Shaq was good enough to win a title with Wade in two thousand six. So it stands to reason he could have won a title with Kobe in two thousand six. Could they, would they, should they have actually won seven in a row from 2000 to 2006? That's a lot of ifs, and as Jeff says, no human emotion. And yet, you see the talent. Shaq won in 2006. Kobe was good enough to win three or four years later. He won a couple more with Gasol. So, man, that, that leaving the titles on the table discussion, just it just kind of sits there, and you wonder what could have been. Yeah, well, I don't know that that's any different, though. That Kevin Durant left. And you'd have to know how many of the Warriors leave out on the table. So I don't know that that's unusual. When you have humans getting together, after a while, they get sick of each other in that environment. That's not that unusual, I don't think. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I think if you would listened to Hans long enough, you had hinted that there was a star player that had dealt with COVID over the summer, and Zach Wilson had admitted that uh, he indeed contracted it a few months ago. Yeah, you know, it's hard. I think I got it from, we had a bunch of the football guys over, and we were just having a little gambling night, you know, having some fun, and, you know, somehow a bunch of us got it. And already people are wondering about what's going on at gambling night. Hey, look, it's Skittles, a little bit of poker. Everybody does it. Everybody does it calm down everybody's doing it get the orange skittles get the green yeah the purple skittles assigned dollar amounts to each no money's exchanging hands oh just covid (laughs) (laughs) hanson scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97 5 1280 the zone in the zone sports network dj pk brought to you in part by mark miller subaru all right pk time to pull the curtain back and (laughs) <laughs> Tell people how the show works a little bit, and then Ooh, if I be fun. and then if I got a tweet for you. So typically at night or in the afternoon, something happens you know over the course of the day after our show. But a lot of times it's at night because you're reacting to a game or something. But there might be some news that breaks during the afternoon. So once or twice you'll go on Facebook and and post a question based on whatever's going on in the world of sports. And it's usually some version of you know what do you think? What do you expect? Uh, you put up two yesterday, right, during the day. Pac-12 and Mountain West supposed to meet Thursday. What do you expect? And then uh, after uh, watching the NBA, you know, what's your interest level in the NBA now? And so we'll use these kind of jump-started discussion or a segment in the morning, depending on what else is going on. And when we do that, I'll usually take it, just copy and paste it uh, onto Twitter so that it's out there and we're getting Twitter responses from the people listening right then. So we get this com- combination of, you know, different social media pa- platforms and people's feedback. And so I check my Twitter notifications and I get this. As I, uh, I tweeted out one of the questions from yesterday. Uh, Do you agree with the order that won't allow fans at BYU's next two home games? 
And Blue22 tweets back, it's fine. Don't be a bleep, DJ. I thought PK was the pot-stirring SOB, dot, 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 that I love. Hashtag go kooks. I am. <laughs> I know, but if I copy and paste something you wrote, it's wrong. It's only right if it comes from you, PK. It's only right if it comes from you. Well, it's understandable. I don't know that he meant it's right. It's something that he's come to expect from me for 19 years. So. More than that. He says, not just it's not the pot stirring SB that I expect. It's dot, 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 that I love. But over here, don't be a bleep, DJ. Can't cross well, that yeah. line. Stay in your lane as, uh, what's the dad's ball? Mr. Ball, what's his first name? We once said. Alonzo's dad. Oh, yeah. LeVar. LeVar Ball. Uh, he was on stay in your lane. <laughs> Immediately became a meme. I actually, now that I look back, I enjoy his. Fi- I enjoyed his fifteen minutes. Now that it's over, maybe it'll resurrect his uh, other son here. I was going to say Lamelo's just high. coming up. Yeah, but I don't know that he'll be as outrageous because at that point he will his his boys will have made it. So you don't have to to make a hubbub about them. They will have made it. And if he, although just because you're a top five pick doesn't mean you'll make it in the league and be any good. We've seen that happen time that's, and time that's again. That's one level of making it. Yeah. But at least you could say they played two of your three boys played in the NBA. That's pretty good. So maybe, yeah. but nevertheless, when he was his own individual circus, it was sort of entertaining in a perverse car crash kind of way. Well, I'm going to copy and paste another one up there. I hope I don't disappoint anyone too desperately. Well, I don't think that this is uh, this question here is, uh, well, whatever. Well, you know, one of them, I, I don't think, yeah, we I don't got, think they're... We got two up today, and I think uh, Pac-12 and Mountain West supposed to meet. What do you expect? But uh, what's your interest level in the NBA now? That That might get a little bit of a reaction on Twitter. But it's not controversial. It's not a controversial question. It would get reaction, I understand that, but the question is not controversial. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of the questions, you know, what do you think? When you're not telling people what to think and you're asking what they think, I don't view that yeah. as controversial. And we know, when you put the, the uh, question up about BYU's next two home games, obviously there are going to be some people who wanted to go, who expected to go, who planned to go, and they're going to be disappointed. And obviously there are people who weren't going at all, and, and, and they don't care, and a lot of people are just going to watch on TV. So I didn't think it was going to generate that level of reaction. Well, yeah, but, but it involves politics, dude. Once you bring in politics. Well, this, but so does the NBA. I mean, there are people who aren't watching the NBA because of I politics. Know. So I, I got it. So I just don't see the difference between those two. I mean, they both, at least to a degree, bring politics in. That's what I'm saying. Once the, if you, the question doesn't bring in politics, you choose to bring it mm-hmm. in. Right. And once you choose to bring it in, then it's going to elicit all sorts of emotions. And then depending on which side you're on. I mean, could you imagine if I tweeted out something that was favorable to Trump? That would go over, well, that would ruin somebody's day. Yeah, and Locke tweets stuff all the time that's favorable to Biden. I wonder if that ruins anybody's day. No, because it's acceptable. <laughs> now, I have no problem with Locke doing what he's doing. I'm just pointing, I'm just using him as an example. I support his right, the democratic process, to do it. I don't think he's being outrageous in doing it, but just clear. And if you go look up his voter registration, which is public record, you can see it. Well, that's where he's coming from. All right, I support it. I've got no problem with it, but I just want, to, I want a little more balance. That's what I'm saying. 
Yeah, I mean, I do one thing and put it out there that wasn't even my opinion, and my gosh, we know what happened. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, coming up at 8.30 for Ute and Aggie fans. We'll get into the Pac-12 question of the day, and we'll do that next. Stay with us.